We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark again today. If you're visiting with us, we've been going section by section through the Gospel of Mark. And just before we read the text, I want, to, I want to lay a foundation for you today in a very practical way, um, but a way that you're going to kind of maybe see a little different, um, I'm hoping, as we go to get into this text today, because we're going to read a really big portion of the Gospel of Mark, actually encompassing a couple of different stories. We're going to, we're going to see an emphasis in those things. But we're going to see today, in the, as we read the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be starting at the end of chapter 6 um, today, is that Jesus reminds me of my doctor. Reminds me of the doctor that I go to all the time for a very important reason. Because when I go to the doctor, and I got a, I've got a really nice doctor uh, here in Fort Washington, um, but he always is concerned about my heart. Every time I go in, he's concerned about how is my heart doing. He's a really nice guy. You know, and, and he's, I think he's pretty smart. He's a doctor. He's got certificates on the wall, you know. And, uh, and he, he is always, that's the main thing he talks about to me is the condition of my heart. And, and he, he thinks that it's possible that someday I am going to have heart issues, problems with, with poor health of my heart. And he's justified in having those reasons because I come from a long line of men who have problems with their heart. Um, when I told him my family history when we moved to the area, he, um, he tried not to let his jaw drop because in my family, my history, my dad, who is, if a lot of you have met my dad, he's, he's thin, he's in good shape, he doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, he but lives on vegetables, and at 56, my dad had a heart attack. Construction worker, in better shape today in his mid-70s than I am right now in my late 40s. Really, he's in great shape. But he had a heart attack at 56. His, his younger brother, or he's got two younger brothers, his next younger brother was in wonderful shape, worked for law enforcement, he was jogging, and he had a heart attack at 43. And, uh, and now is just a vegetarian and you know, living to, to try to live forever by taking care of his heart. His other brother, who's 14 years younger than him, had a heart attack at 56, the exact same month of his 56th year that my dad had it, of the exact same month of his 56th year. So all of them have had heart bypass surgery. All of them have had heart attacks. And so my doctor is a smart guy. He reads all the studies and he understands that the the number one um, factor in determining my heart is my family's history. So he goes, you know, Mark, uh, I'm worried about your heart. And so he's always talking to me about my heart and he's telling me he needs to monitor my cholesterol and, you know, guy giving blood tests. And so my cholesterol's high. So a number of years ago he says, you need to go on cholesterol reducing medication. And I've been on a bunch, you know, and it brings my cholesterol down. But we found something out. We found I couldn't tolerate the cholesterol medication. That my hips hurt so bad and my knees hurt. I felt like a hundred year old man and, and I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate it and it had some other side effects. And he goes, well, you're the one out of a hundred who can't tolerate cholesterol reducing medicine. So, so he says, this is the next thing I want you to do. I want you to go get a heart scan. And it's kind of, they put you in the tube and they, and they uh, scan your heart. They take pictures of your heart. And he said, I want to see if there's any calcification. The calcium is building up in the, in the arteries. Are you having any hardening in the arteries and any indication that you're going to have any heart problems? And fortunately, the heart scan has a scale. It comes back. Zero, you're no problems. You know, I think four or five, you know, by your plot. <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm a zero. And so came back, good news, no apparent heart conditions right now. But my doctor still is always worried about my heart. I'm like, Doc, I got a zero. That's like 100% on a test, you know. I got an A. I set the curve, Pastor Mitch. You know, the best you could do. 
He's like, no, 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 Mark, I'm concerned about your heart. You still need to exercise. You know, exercise ought to be a four-letter word. Because I just don't, I just, I just I, you know, I have a Schwinn Airdyne. It's the worst, it's a torture chamber, it's a torture device. So I wake the whole family up when I do that, the rarity that I, when I do it. But uh, Suzanne's good, she's got a treadmill, she's on that thing all the time. She's like, when do you ever use that? So, you know, so I, he tells me to exercise. He tells me I have to eat right, you know, and he tells me I have to be aware of the condition of my heart. Now, in the text that we're going to read today, I want you to take note of something. We're going to read a big, long section. I want you to take note of a, of a commonality in all the kind of three different sections we're going to read today of the fact that Jesus, in all of this, talks a, he talks a lot like my doctor. He's always looking or concerned with the condition of the heart of the people that he's speaking to. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to start off in the end of chapter 6. As you recall, we've spent a couple of weeks on this section in the end of chapter 6 where this story, Jesus had fed 5,000 people and then he immediately sends his disciples into a boat and he tells them to go to the other side of the lake and they face a storm and in the storm he walks up to them and they invite him into the boat, you know? And this is the tail end of that story. We're going to start right there. Verse, chapter, chapter 6, verse 51 and 52, it says this. Then he, and is that a capital H there? Who's that talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Then Jesus got into the boat with them, with the disciples that had been in the middle of the storm, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. Now, it's a, remember, we've got to remember what happened just before that. Just before that, what happened is that he had just fed 5,000 people at one person's lunch, and now they're in the middle of a storm, they get in the boat, and they're astonished. They can't believe that the storm calmed. And look at what he says in verse 52. It says, they were astonished for or because they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. They had not learned anything from the fact that if he could feed 5,000 people with, with, a, with one boy's lunch, he surely could calm a storm. So they hadn't learned anything. But then look what it says next. So they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. He looks at the condition of their heart. Now we'll go to chapter 7. We're going to read 23 verses here. Pay attention to him talking about hearts. Verse 1. It says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes, so these are the religious leaders of Judaism, gathered around Jesus, him, and they, came, they had come from Jerusalem, and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they, are care, they have carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Get that? But their heart is far away from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. 
He was also saying to them, you are experts in setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would have helped you is Corbin, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. And after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are that which defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? But it does not be, because it does not go into the stump, into the heart. Because it does not go into the heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is which defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts and fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Did you notice... As we read those three separate stories, the last two are tied together. Jesus taught the second one to talk about the first one, that, or the, the, the one about the cleaning of the pots. He talked about the external versus the internal. But did you notice all the times that he mentioned the heart? Did you notice that? In all of mine, I have heart underlined. I think five times in those, in those verses. Now I have a question for you to start off today. Is Jesus talking about the same thing as my doctor? This blood pumping muscle in the middle of my chest? I see a lot of heads going, no. He's not talking about the same thing, is he? He's not talking about this muscle in my heart, that, in my chest that's called the heart, that pumps blood to my whole body. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about the heart. My doctor's talking about something physical. Jesus is talking about something spiritual. You see, when Jesus is speaking of the heart... He is referring to the core of your life. He's referring to the center of who you are. I think a way to think of the heart is he's talking about your heart is the spiritual you. It's what's on the inside. Who you really are in there. Because you know, who I am out here in the flesh isn't who I really am. It's who I am in the inside that makes up who Mark is and who you are. That's what Jesus is talking about. And isn't it interesting that we tend to be very concerned with the condition of our physical heart, our blood pumping muscle. My doctor sure is. He reminds me of every time I see him. We're concerned with that. And just if you say, oh, I'm not really that concerned, yes, you are, or yes, our society is, because you look at all we do to monitor and maintain our hearts. About every other commercial on TV is for Lipitor or something else, which is a cholesterol medication, right? Um, we spend all this... I could go to a place that's called the Heart Hospital right down the road and they did a heart scan of mine. An entire hospital that's called the Heart Hospital. It's designed just for maintaining and monitoring hearts. But Jesus isn't so concerned with that blood pumping muscle in my chest. He's very concerned with the condition of our spiritual hearts. He's concerned about who we are on the inside. 
And there's a reason for it. You see, Jesus understands something about mankind that we usually either don't like to admit is true or we just flat out reject. And it's this, that man in the heart, that man at the core is evil and sinful and dirty. That Jesus would use these terms today, that man has spiritual heart disease. He'd say, you got some cholesterol build up in your heart. You have spiritual heart disease. You know, look at, look at verses 21 and 23 of our text. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual heart disease. He says, for from within, out of the heart of men. Now, ladies, you don't get a pass here. He's not referring to a gender. He's referring to human, humankind. That from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus looks and says, mankind is defiled in the heart. That mankind as a whole has an evil heart. And I want to tell you something, friends. That is radical thinking to so many in this day and age who want to believe that man is intrinsically good. That really at the core, they're really good. They're just a little off track. That's really how the world thinks of humankind. You know, that mankind just needs to get cleaned up a little bit. A lot of people come into the church world and that's what they think. That mankind is just a little off. That your life's just a little off. You just have to kind of get, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Just kind of, kind of clean off the outside and make yourself look better. But Jesus wants us to understand something different than that. He wants us to understand the truth about ourselves, about human, humankind as a whole. Then he says this, that at the core mankind has been corrupted by sin. That we have spiritual heart disease. Listen to how scripture repeatedly describes the heart of man. The prophet, prophet Jeremiah says it like this. He said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Romans says it like this. As it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their, their um, throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Isn't that a very pretty picture of humankind, is it? Friends, there's a reason that Jesus wants us to know this ugly truth. Think it's because he's mean? No. There's a reason he wants to know this, have us to understand this ugly truth about ourselves, even though as a society in the world, we want to pretend that doesn't exist. There's a reason why Jesus wants us to get it. And here's why. It's so that we will go to him to get a brand new heart. It's so that we'll run to Jesus and get a brand new heart. You see, when we receive Jesus into our lives, it's more than religious activity. It's, it's not about joining a church. It's not about coming to church. It's not about giving money. It's not about serving in the nursery. It's more than being better or trying harder. Coming to Jesus is about a spiritual heart transplant. 
You see, the prophet Ezekiel said it in a wonderful way. He said it like this. He said, I, meaning God, he's quoting from God. God will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. God will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And friends, that's what happens when a person comes to Jesus and is born again. They get a new living spiritual heart. The Spirit of God takes up residency within them and makes everything new. And then what happens is that stone-hard heart that would not and could not understand spiritual things, even though they were trying to be explained, that stone-hard heart is replaced by a new heart. A new heart that hears, a new heart that understands, and for the first time, it can grasp the truth of God. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Basically says the old heart is replaced by a new heart of flesh. Church, Jesus came into this world so that people could have a spiritual heart transplant. That they could have a brand new heart put into their lives. A spiritual transformation. That's what happens when we come to Jesus. And friends, this is why in this text, Jesus is so incredibly forceful. When he talks to the Pharisees and the scribes, remember who he's talking to here. He's not talking to some derelict on the street who just doesn't care about the things of God. He talks to the people who are the most concerned with doing everything they can to follow after the ways of God. And sometimes we get that, we get that skewed. Because we're always seeing Jesus come after the scribes and Pharisees. But understand, friends, He's coming after the people who are in church first. Who stay the longest. Who say the biggest, the loudest prayers. Who, who memorize it all and say, uh, and say, well, I'd love to be stand up and say, you know, I, I am walking with God. But Jesus looks at the scribes and the Pharisees in this text and he's very forceful with them because they missed the point. They missed the entire point about the heart. You see, they were consumed with religious duty. They were consumed in particular in this story that we were talking about today in keeping the traditions of their elders that focused on external behavior but not on internal change. And that's what happens in in religious existence. Because it's hard to focus on the inside, it's painful to focus on the inside, but it's easy to focus on the outside, so we look good. And everybody else thinks, if everybody else thinks I look good, then I feel good because they tell me I'm good. The scribes and Pharisees were patted on the back everywhere they went for being great religious people, and suddenly Jesus shows up on the scene and he understands they don't get it. Even though they thought they were the masters of getting it. And he looks at them and he says, you just don't get it. You focus on the external behavior, but you don't understand that I need to give you a new heart on the inside. You know, see, they were um, upset that Jesus' followers, his disciples, didn't maintain the long-held traditions of Judaism. They were upset that the fact, not that, that they weren't upset that people were getting healed. They weren't upset that people were getting delivered. They were upset that they didn't wash their hands in the right way. They were upset that they didn't wash the cups, it says, in the pitchers and the, and the copper pots, according to traditions of the elders. You see, traditions, they wanted them to maintain traditions that had at one time um, been instituted to remind people of their need for real internal cleansing. That's how the traditions arose. 
They were a way for mankind to try to say, let's remember that God wants our inside clean, so let's wash the outside to remind us. But they had forgot. They had forgotten the real intention of the traditions and had become consumed with keeping the traditions, doing it all right, but not understanding that those traditions were to represent something deeper and more important. They were to represent internal purity and having a clean heart before God. So look what Jesus does to them. These ones who are the religious leaders that everybody says, you got it together. He calls them a bunch of hypocrites. And he applies the prophecy of Isaiah to them. Look at verses 6 and 7. Imagine, he's talking to the general superintendent of the assemblies of God here. He's talking to the Pope. You know, he's saying, you're the leader. And everybody thinks God has it all together. He's talking to the pastor of the church. Or the deacon, or the elder, or the lady who's never missed teaching Sunday school in 30 years. But who didn't get it, who was focused on the outside. He's not criticizing being consistent. He's just saying, listen, it's not about the outside. You're locked in hypocrisy. Look what he says. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. Now that got him mad. (laughs) That's no fun being called a hypocrite. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do you worship me. In vain. Do you sing Hosanna? Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Jesus gets their attention here. He gets their attention so that they would change. They're not used to being called hypocrites. Remember, they're used to being celebrated in the marketplace, it says, as being the great religious leaders of the day. He comes at him and says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. But he doesn't do it to be mean. He does it because he wants them to change. He sees so clearly that they miss the point of, what, of, the, of the internal, and they focus on the external, and that in doing that, they miss out on the real life-changing relationship that God has that, with Him that leads to eternal life. He goes, you're missing the whole point, you're keeping the external, but your heart's not been changed. See, Jesus doesn't bash them. He's not trying to put them down. And that's what we think a lot of times when we read the Scriptures. We go, look, there's Jesus again, kicking those, kicking those Pharisees in the teeth. That's not what He's doing. He's not trying to, to, to hurt them and bash them to somehow put them down and lift himself up. That's not what he's doing. He gets in their face so that they will see the truth and ask for a new spiritual life in the only way that is possible by going to the bread of life. By getting a new heart, new life in Christ. He wants them to see that they're not only um, is their religious tradition keeping the external not going to lead to a right relationship with God, but it will actually hinder them from really knowing and following God. So what he does is he points out for them an example of how their tradition actually keeps them from following God. He's already talked about the washing of the cups, but he basically says, let me give you another example of how you do this. You focus on the external. You focus on man and not on what God wants. And he uses the example of what they called back then Corbin. Look at verses 9 through 13. Verse 8, he says, verse eight, he says, you neglect the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So he's, 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 he's challenging the fact that they hold human traditions over God's word. And he gives them an example of how they do it, in addition to the whole cup washing thing. He says, and he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. 
Hey kids, you know that was in the Bible? Did you know that? Adults, did you know that? You still have moms and dads. Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. You understand what he's saying here? He's saying your religious tradition developed over the years into something that actually hinders your ability to really honor God, to really follow God's word. So tradition taught for them that they could ignore God's command to honor their father and mother um, in their time of need when they needed some financial assistance if they said, the money that I would have used to help you has been dedicated to the temple. Because that's what Corbin, that's what it meant. Corbin meant money that was, was a non-refundable gift given to the work of the temple. He said, so mom and dad, I'd like to help you, but the money I would have used to help you with, it's Corbin. It's been dedicated to the work of God, and therefore I have no resources to help you with. And Jesus points out to them, he says, you know what, your tradition has invalidated God's word. He said, my word is clear, honor your father and mother. But your tradition says, no, you don't have to honor them because of, of, of we're, we're, we're get dedicating something to the temple. And he says, you're wrong. He says, your, your tradition invalidates God's word and it causes you to disobey God. And he says, it causes you to be a hypocrite. All of you, he says, to be hypocrites. Now I want to tell you something. It's not that difficult for us to sit here 2,000 years later and read that about a group of people we never, ever met. That we imagine that they've got these long roads and they walk around and they stand in the marketplace, it says, and they love to pray and be praised by men, and we go, yeah, it's good for them. It's easy for us to do that. But I want to challenge us today. Before we're too hard on the Pharisees, I'm not so sure that we're all that much different today in our culture and in our churches. I really don't think we're that much different. How often do we follow traditions or cultural values instead of God's word? I think we do it a lot. How many people are sitting in church pews today following a list of religious traditions? Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, attend here, give that, this whole list of externals but they do not really know Jesus. They've never really had a spiritual heart transplant. How many? You say, well, how are you to judge? Oh, I'm not supposed to judge. But I do know this. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. And if a person says, I have a heart transplant, but nothing but their cholesterol, spiritual cholesterol is through the roof and their heart is not pumping, and therefore showing no evidence of the reality of God in their life, then it reveals the truth of where a person's really at. You know, how often do we allow cultural values and traditions to supersede biblical teachings in our lives and we excuse it away of saying, well, you know, that's not really what that means. How about when we don't help someone in need when we have more than we need? That's clearly contrary to Scripture. Scripture says if somebody comes to you with a need and you, you have two coats and they have none, he says, give them one. How often do we not help someone in need when we have more than we need? 
That clearly is contrary to Scripture because that's a cultural value that, that I'm valued by how much stuff I have, how big my pile is. That cultural value over biblical teaching. Or how about when we don't forgive someone? When God tells us to forgive. We don't forgive someone who's hurt us when they ask us to forgive. And we say things like this, and I'll use my family tradition as, a, as an example. But I'm German. And we just don't do that. We're Germans. You know, I'm half Swede and half German. I think the Swede balances out, the loving Swede balances out the hard-headed German, I hope. Somewhere in there. But you know what? That's what, that's what we say so often. Well, I'm just German or I'm, you know, I'm hot-tempered because I'm Irish. You know, we say all these things. Well, that's tradition elevated over biblical teaching. Making an excuse from tradition that supersedes what God tells me clearly to do in His Word. Or how about this? How about when we excuse sin in our lives? We love, I'll be honest, just hear me today. We love to do this. Pastor Bruce and I talk all the time about this, about the transition we've seen even in the last 20 years that, since we've been pastoring. And how now churches are filled with people who just, with no apparent blushing, excuse sin in their lives. They excuse the things listed. I know I read it already, but they excuse these things. Listed in 21 and 22. It says, from within, out of the heart, the evil heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And we do it because we say things like this. But our culture... Our tradition, we don't use the word culture, we say, my buddies who hang around me, my neighbors, or my tradition, or my reasoning says, it's really not that bad. Or they say this, what's wrong with it? Or they say this, I have a good reason for what I'm doing, not obeying God's word. He says what we're doing then is we're invalidating God's word by our tradition. And Jesus looks at that in his text and he calls it hypocrisy. And he comes down hard on hypocrisy for a reason. Because he says evidence of spiritual heart disease. That's why he comes down. You know what would be so easy? To cut these sections out of the Bible. No pastor wakes up in the morning and goes, Oh great, I could deal with hypocrisy in the church. But Jesus does for a reason. Because he understands that hypocrisy is evidence of spiritual heart disease. And friends, understand God loves people so much that He wants us to be healthy at the core. Not blinded by thinking we are spiritually healthy when we're really not because instead of comparing ourselves to the truth of God's Word, we compare ourselves to our cultural norms. And our cultural norms, compared to that, I can live anyway and feel good about myself. But he holds us up to the word of God. That's what he did to the Pharisees. He held them up to the word of God. He says, you're neglecting my word through your tradition. And friends, he still looks at our world that way today. And he says, it's hypocrisy. It's evidence of spiritual heart disease. And he loves us so much that he wants us to be spiritually healthy on the inside. And friends, we need to understand 
that spiritual health begins with turning our lives over to Jesus. It begins by finding forgiveness of our sins through Him and getting a brand new heart. It's how Isaiah or Ezekiel said it. He says, when we come to Him, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's where it all begins, but that's not where it ends. Because we come to Him, we get a brand new heart. But understand then, church, just like we need to maintain our physical hearts, we need to maintain our spiritual heart's health also. That we need to come before God and come before His Word honestly every single day and ask Him to show us if we are living in obedience to Him. If we are living in obedience to His ways or if we are allowing religious tradition or culture to override our obedience to His ways and say, but it's really not that bad. Friends, when we find hypocrisy, you know what we're supposed to do? Run to Jesus. He doesn't point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees to spank them. He points out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees so they will run to Jesus and get a brand new heart and then maintain a new heart. When we find hypocrisy in our lives, it's a gift from God to be exposed so then we can run to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and change direction in our life. That's how you keep a clean heart. It's kneeling before Jesus every day and saying, is there any junk that settles in? You know, I do that every day in my life. And you know, it's almost every day I find junk. That's why at the the, the last supper when Jesus right before, when he washed the disciples' feet, he said, I don't need to wash all of you. He says, I guess I've washed your feet. He says, you know the truth already, but your feet are dirty. You're walking in the world. stuff, Stuff clings to you. He said, let's just wash that up. That's what that daily going to Jesus is all about. Submitting before Him, asking Him to show you if you're, if you're missing the mark. And He does it lovingly because He wants you to have a clean heart. He wants you to have a heart that's healthy. Because a healthy heart produces healthy fruit. And it produces ultimately joy in your life. Friends, that's how we keep a clean heart. We stay open and honest before Jesus. We don't, we don't make excuses by saying, but the world says it's not that bad. Friends, as we wrap up today, I want to end our service by just having a time when, when Suzanne comes and just plays that we're going to ask God to give us a spiritual heart scan today. You know, I said there's the Milwaukee Heart Hospital. You walk in, they say, I'm here for a heart scan. They know exactly what to do. So that's what they do. You know what? We could change a church sign this morning because really this is what it's supposed to be. It's the Port Washington Heart Hospital. The place of Holy Ghost heart scans. That's really what it is. The place where we allow the Spirit of God to scan our, our real heart, our core. And friends, if we find hypocrisy, you know what we do? We confess and we repent. We confess to God, God, I'm not doing it right. And then we repent. You know what repentance means? It means turning direction. He says, I've been going the wrong way. I want to turn and go the right way. So we're going to end by spending some time talking to Jesus. Friends, I want to tell you this. There's nothing more important you can do it the rest of your afternoon. You don't need to rush out of here. You're an hour early anyways. (laughs) Spend some time letting the heart scan. And don't be a Pharisee. 
Can I tell you, the longer you serve God and the more you're elevated in your position and people respect you, the more possible it is to be like a Pharisee. Because everybody tells you how great you are and how good you're doing. And, oh, you're just great at raising your kids. And, oh, you just have the you know God's word so well. And we begin to say, oh, yeah, bring it on. It's wonderful to serve God wonderfully. But we always have to maintain a heart that's open before God. So I would say this, the person who's, who's the longest serving God needs to be the first to run to get a heart scan. Say, God, keep me from just living on, on tradition. Keep me from living on what I've learned. And help me to live dependent upon your voice and your interaction in my life. So we're going to take a time just to allow the Lord to give us a spiritual heart scan. You know what, as you're doing that today, you're spending a few minutes in prayer, if you come to the place that you understand something about yourself, whether you're brand new today or you've been here forever, and you say, you know what, I've never got a brand new heart. I really never have. If you come to that conclusion and you say, it's time for me to get a heart transplant, time for me to come to Jesus, have my sins forgiven, and start a brand new spiritual life with Jesus. If you're ready to do that today, you feel God saying, this is your day. I'm going to invite, while people are praying, I'm going to invite you just to come find myself or Pastor Bruce. We're going to be right down here at the front. Come and talk to us. We'll pray with you. We'll lead you in, in asking Jesus into your life. So Suzanne begins just to sing some worship choruses, worship songs this morning. I invite you just to spend some time allowing the Spirit of God to speak to you. Do a heart scan. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit then, God bless you. Have a wonderful day with Jesus. Let's pray.